You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Queer Story. We are your hosts. I'm the sour and then sweet Paul Hobbs. Hello there. I am the Rocket Man, a.k.a. Evan Jones. How well, do you like that English you accent? definitely sounded Australian, so you definitely... Okay, okay. Oh, <laughs> listen to me, you bloody fool. I know how I sound. You don't tell me how I sound, where I sound, when I sound. That's not Australian. Well, that whole That's section like... just clipped, so we can't use that. <laughs> that what? It clipped. It got too loud, so it popped. You think you were just going to sit there and cut me off like that? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to talk like this the entire bloody episode. I don't know what this accent is. I feel like it's fading it's a mix in of and Australian out. And it's Australian something. and like pirate. <laughs> <laughs> so good stuff. Um, but I am your host, Evan Jones. Welcome to another episode of Your Queer Story. Today we are covering pop legend and icon Elton John. The one, the only. The genius behind so much music. So much music. Exhausting list of music. Literally, I was trying to cram it all into the episode, and I just kept going and going, and I thought I was like going to give like a list of all of his albums and songs, but you know what? I wasn't going to do that, because we would be here all day, folks. Just a 30-minute monologue of us reading <laughs> names. Like, and in 1975, he released the album, I don't know. But he definitely released one in 1975. There was a period there where he was releasing an episode, two ep- or two episodes. He was really releasing two albums every year. That's insane. Because like, think when's the last time Gaga's dropped an album? I know, right? Like artists today, they drop an album like every two to three years, mm-hmm. and he was releasing two every year, which is incredible. Yes. But I feel like then the difference is now with the way that music's evolved. Um, yeah. Artists rely more on tours to make yeah. money, whereas then they would rely on sales of CDs. So, like, it made sense that records. they were, yeah, records. They were spending less time touring, more time recording, whereas now yeah. they need to go on tour to make the money because you can get your music for free on YouTube or whatever exactly. you use. So, I can see the difference there. It just kind of sucks because I would like to see more. Yeah, more we want music. more music. We want more music. But we've done this to ourselves because it's true. we, you know, we wanted our music more accessible. We wanted to be able to streamline it, which put artists in this position where they have to be selective when they release their music. It's like, yes, we want more music, but we're, you know, if we're not going to be paying for it, then... Can't have your cake and you can eat it too. That's right. That's right. So, 
Um, but there are easier ways now to interact with the, your artists. You can reach out to them in a variety of ways. You can follow them more closely like on mm-hmm. social media. And so in a way, we're more connected to our artists, which we wouldn't have yeah. got before. Absolutely. So that's cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's the way we're evolving, folks. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like today we're just going to jump right into things. Yeah. Um, the timing of this episode is a little weird. It's really soon after the recording of our last episode. So we Still haven't well, done as yeah. much as we usually have to catch up on. Yep. Um, also, we have a lot today. I mean, we're co- covering Sir Elton John. And I don't know if you know this, but he's done a couple things in his life. You know, he hasn't been that busy. He's <laughs> definitely, is, he's walked on the street a couple times, you know. Guy sits on his ass a lot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we're covering a 50 fucking year music career and 40 of those years was incredibly active. Like, I mean, I don't know how he managed to stay so active for 40 years. Um, so we're covering 50 years and to boot, we're starting off with a review of the film rocket man, which is out in theaters. Now, um, by the time this episode dropped, it will have been out, um, for just over a week, actually not even quite a week yet. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, so why don't we go ahead and you can start us Yeah, off. so we're going to do our best to limit the spoilers, um, yeah. but we are going to start this episode wa- off with a huge spoiler. You definitely did not see this coming. Mm-hmm. Close your ears now if you do not want to know, but here it is. He's gay. Yeah. Wow. I was floored, flabbergasted. Right? So I True, hope- <laughs> wait, hang on. True story though, because I went and watched the movie and I'm the one <clears throat> who wrote the review and um in the movie, swear to fucking God. So like a couple minutes in it, um, not a couple minutes in it, but pretty early in the movie, he kisses a guy. Okay. Um, and then a, a few scenes after that, he has sex with the guy. And it, it's nothing like ridiculous. It's your average movie sex scene, mm-hmm. right? Like there's some skin flashing, people on top of each other, the camera pans away, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so the, when he first kissed the guy, I hear there's like a group of like five women sitting behind me and my friend and I hear this woman go, and I thought I'm probably imagining something. I'm sure she's not huffing and puffing at a kiss between two men and a fucking Elton John movie. Right. (laughs) And then the sex gay sex scene, I shouldn't say the gay sex scene, the sex scene happens between two men and I, she's now loudly talking. She's like, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe they're going to show this. This isn't what people are here for. And I'm, it's, I'm like, it, it's an Elton John movie. Literally, John. like, I don't know if there's a more famous gay man in the whole fucking world, honey. Like, I don't know. Again, it wasn't anything ridiculous. Okay, we're not showing like hardcore anal sex, stick to balls. Right. We're just showing two guys getting naked, kissing, and then like camera panning up. Right. It's like the stuff you see <laughs> on late night television, like the very casual softcore It's porn. just regular, yeah, it's an average sex scene. And also, the movie's rated fucking R because there's a lot of drugs and alcohol in the movie. But no, 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 the gay sex is Oh, yeah, no. I don't know if you knew that or not. So finally, a, f- a couple scenes after that, there's another kiss, just a kiss, and the woman gets up. What the hell is that? Oh. Hang on. So then a couple scenes later, there's another kiss, and the woman just got up and walked out of the theater. Very offended. <laughs> Very offended. Had no clue. She was just floored. Like, you're going to tell me that this man's gay. Same woman probably went to see Fifty Shades of Grey and was like, this is everything I could have ever imagined. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, oh, I got to rem- I have to drop a list. Speaking of Fifty Shades of Grey, I have to drop a list. Later on this month of great new shows that I have discovered 
that are queer related. But go, let's go ahead. Let's get back to Elton John, the Rocket Man. Mm-hmm. Um. So with that spoiler, I just want to say that I hope we didn't ruin the movie for you. It is true, though. He's fucking gay as fuck. Yeah. He also has a um, he's also a husband, a recovering addict and one of the best selling artists of all time. And the movie honestly did a fantastic job of telling his story. Yes. So Rocket Man is a biopic musical that beautifully wave that beautifully weaves the songs of Elton John in with his life story. Um, and if you love musicals the way that I do, you know that biopics have a reputation of like fucking that up. But this one did not. Uh, just, I was astounded. All right. Uh, it is packed with raw moments of gut-wrenching lows and triumphant highs. The acting of star Taron Egerton is fantastic. The sets and special effects are riveting and essential in conveying the intensity of the moment. Director Dexter Fletcher, who was brought in to help with Bohemian Rhapsody when they were having problems with being historically correct... Cannot be praised enough for his ingenious new vision in the world of blending biopics and musicals. And to top it all off, aside from some song placements and timelines, the story is very accurate to Elton John's life, which is probably due to the fact that he was an executive producer. Which is pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. And like when I was reading the reviews, so um, like some people are just like, yeah, but, you know, they play this song in the late 1960s, but it did come out to the 1970s. But also, you're trying to tell someone's story, so the song placement cannot properly line up. If you want it to flow well and you want it to be good, in fact, that's one of the reasons why biopics get so much criticism, because people try to match the songs to the timeline, and it doesn't flow with the story. Right, because you don't always release a piece of art in the exact moment that it's happening mm-hmm. either. You know, like right. you can feel an emotion and then that, that emotion can be expressed later in life when it comes to the point in your life where you're able to process and feel it. So yes. it just it makes sense. Absolutely. Exactly. So it's a, it's a really it's almost like people are finding for a reason. They're like, we've got to find some way to critique this movie. So they're using that. But unless that's a real big hang up for you, it shouldn't matter. So after all that, what are we saying? Hmm. Go see the fucking movie. Yes, <laughs> whether see. whether you're a musical fan, an Elton John fan, or just a proud queer who loves queer history, you'll enjoy it. It currently has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, and we're going to give the movie five stars. From every perspective, it is excellent, with just enough drama and well-placed exaggeration to mix real life with fantasy. You will not be disappointed if you see it. You won't. I promise you won't. Um, you just, you can't, you can't be disappointed. I, and I, we're not going to give, we're not going to do spoilers through here, but we are telling his life story. We won't be able to take away from the impact at the moment, but oh my God. Um, especially if you have struggled with like parents or family, that's not accepting. You're going to feel it. If you've struggled with addiction, you're going to feel it. Um, if you're a struggling artist, you're going to feel it. You know, if you struggled with your orientation and being able to come out. So basically, if you're a queer member. If um, you're <laughs> anybody who is not a straight white person, you're going to feel it. You're going <laughs> to really feel it. And, and uh, it's really good. So um, <clears throat> as we said, there were, will be some spoilers, so to speak, since we are telling you the story of his life and comparing some parts to the storyline in the movie. But don't worry. We do believe it will not diminish the experience of the show in any way. Now let's head back to March 25th, 1947, when Reginald Kenneth Dwight was born in Piner, Middlesex, England. Reginald 
Kenneth Dwight, the most English name I've ever heard. And also the most gay- queer name I've ever heard. <laughs> Excuse me, Reggie. 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 <laughs> Um, Stanley and Sheila Dwight were both students and lovers of music. In fact, in his spare time, Stanley was a trumpet player for the Bob Miller Band. For his day job, though, he was an Air Force lieutenant. Um, and this is, of course, in the English mm-hmm. Royal Air Force. In the movie, Stanley is depicted as withdrawn, detached from his son and family, which was true to the story. Elton would later say of his father, He was tough and unemotional man, hard in the RAF. He was dismissive, disappointed, and finally absent. Perhaps Stanley's distance was attributed to the strained relationship he had with Sheila, which was the name of Elton's mother. There were mixed accounts about when the couple were married. Some said they were married two years before Elton was born. Others stated they didn't formally marry until Elton was six. It seems more likely that the latter is true. Stanley probably had no intention of marrying Sheila, but after getting her pregnant, due to the standards at the time and his employment in the Air Force, he felt he had no other option. Yeah, we were talking about this before the show, who, like, you're in the Royal Air Force in the 1940s. You can't just, um, like, walk away from this woman. I don't know how it was in the the Royal Air Force, but in America, like, if a... If a member of the military would get a woman pregnant and try to leave, he could be por- he could be court-martialed or fined. So, by every account, the couple hated each other, and Elton grew up hearing vicious fights between the two. They gave every impression of hating each other. Elton said, continuing, "My dad was strict and remote and had a terrible temper. My mom was argumentative and prone to dark moods. When they were together, all I can remember are ice are icy silences or screaming rows." The rows were usually about me, how I was being brought up. So the dysfunctional relationships certainly wore on Sheila, but there was also her own personal demons. Actress Bryce Dallas Howard, who played Sheila in the biopic, did her own research on Elton's mother, which she did that on purpose because she felt that the writers were too harsh on Sheila. Mm-hmm. And then she started doing the research independently and found out that uh, they actually captured her pretty well. Um, she found that the movie had indeed portrayed the aloof mother correctly. Howard told Vanity Fair, Elton was a child prodigy, and that was shocking and complex because she did feel that her life was not her own. A lot of resentment came from that, but it definitely crossed over. The cruelty and kind of mean persona and, you know, just not showing love ever. It makes me wonder if she wasn't well, possibly. It had shifted into a place that was toxic and dangerous. She could have been depressed. It sounds like there might have been some mental health yeah, issues there. Exactly. And in the in the movie, I didn't see anything in this, but in the movie, they often p- depicted her with a drink in her hand. And, you know, Elton struggles with addiction. Yeah. It's hereditary, usually. I mean, you have a woman, again, she's, uh, she's living with a man who avoids her as much as possible. You know, she's basically a single mother yep. in the 50s. She's restrained by society. And, and, it, and just being in a relationship where you know someone doesn't want to be with you is mm-hmm. on its own without any possibilities of addiction or mental health is just enough to push anyone over the edge, really. Yeah. I mean, exactly. it really is. Any person would go crazy, mm-hmm. you know, and then you add on it all the restrictions of the time and the fact that you might be uh, mentally ill, not mentally ill, but, you know, you might struggle with um, some mental illness, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you're you're not in an easy situation. Yeah, yep. And Elton was an incredibly talented musician. As young as eight, as young as six, he was able to hear a song and replay it on the piano. 
Even complicated tunes such as the Skater's Waltz by Winfred Atwells by age by Winfred Atwells. By age seven, he finally received formal piano lessons and began to perform at school events, and at eleven he was sent to the Royal Academy of Music. This was due to the help of his grandmother and not his parents. The one constant and supportive person in Elton's young life was his grandmother, Ivy Sewell. To add to his musical repertoire, on his ninth birthday, Elton was given an Elvis Presley record and officially fell in love with rock and roll. That's not anything Elvis. It's not. Yeah, but, you know, I felt like there should be a music musical transition. So I will now be providing them with random things that don't fit in with the storyline. <laughs> <laughs> Over the next few years, he honed his musical abilities and by age 15 was the official weekend pianist at a bar in Northwood Hills Hotel, which he's 15 and he's the piano at the pianist at the spa. Pianist, that's incredible. <laughs> at 15, I was like sitting in my underwear playing video games, eating Hot Pockets. So, Which is exactly what you still do today. So it, you have not I don't eat Hot Pockets anymore. I eat homemade tacos oh, now. Oh, well, okay. Definitely got a big upgrade. <laughs> so different. He eats them in his own house that he owns, but mm-hmm. still in his underwear playing video games. Can't yep. get him out to save my life, folks. Invited him over the other night, and he's like, oh, no, can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> he was still going by the name Reggie. And But he had added his infamous glasses, sheerly out of style and not because he needed them. He did not need the glasses for a long time, but every picture of Elton John. Typical is, gay thing to do. <laughs> like, no, I'm just going to wear these. Uh, the regular gig was a good distraction from the young man for the young man who was watching his home life implode. In 1961, Stanley Dwight left Sheila. According to the movie, she was having an affair with a local painter named Fred. Whether or not this is true, shortly after Stanley left, Sheila did marry a guy named Fred, which was actually a good thing as Fred, who Elton affectionately called Durf, Fred spelled backwards, was much more supportive and involved than Stanley had been. Which is awesome. Yeah, it really is. It was really, it it was good. I mean, it's sad because there was still a lot of trauma, but um, Fred was always like, he, you know. His name was Durf. Durf. Durf was always a constant and was always very supportive of Elton. And that's what you need in life. Yes. And as for Elton's relationship with his biological father, Stanley remained detached from his eldest son. This was a constant source of pain for the entertainer. He would say of his father, My father was sealed off from my talent and I never knew why. Was it homophobia? Was it fear? That was a painful loss for me. But it was also a painful loss, I think, for my dad. That's what my... That's what prejudice does to people. It wasn't that he didn't know how to relate to kids. He left us, remarried, and had another family, and by all accounts was a great dad to them. It wasn't children. It was me. And it also could have been um, his mother. Like, it could have just been, all. you know, maybe he really hated the mom, and he's like, I hate this fucking kid because it's a part of you. I mean, it could could be be truly homophobia, um, but I guess you never truly know. Well, it's like Elton said, like, you know, he goes off, he starts in second family and he's a really great father to these kids, but he could never, there's, I won't spoil it, but there's a moment in the, in the movie where he goes and sees his dad when he's older and it just makes you want to like whip your heart out. Mm-hmm. Like it just cuts it out. And I like what he said. Um, he said it was a painful loss. I think for my dad, that's what prejudice does to people. Yeah. And it's true. Like, like how many families like are out there grieving the loss of their children but it's their own prejudice that has put them in this position to grieve the loss of their children. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many people who have decided, you know what, that's not the way to go. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to be without. And mm-hmm. and the, and they pretend that it only affects the like 
that it only affects the other person, but they're still dealing with that oh, loss yeah. themselves. Yeah. And rather than saying, this is stupid, let me address this, they just continue to allow the hatred and negativity rule their lives. And if they don't address it, they'll live their whole lives that way. And I couldn't imagine living my life. Yeah. That I just couldn't. Yeah. But they choose, they choose that life and they, you know, it's funny because they'll say you chose your lifestyle, but no, you chose a lifestyle of prejudice and bigotry mm -hmm. and it pushed everyone away and you keep trying to blame everyone else for your own prejudice and bigotry. Mm, yeah. It never pays to be a bigot. It doesn't. So reeling from the pain and rejection of his father, Elton dove deeper into his music. He briefly formed a band called the Corvettes and then in 1962, the popular R&B band Bluesology. The group was soon touring Europe on a soul tour with African American performers such as the Isley Brothers. I think it's Isley. Um, such as the Isley Brothers, Major Lance, and Patti LaBelle, and the Bluebells. During all of this, Elton also worked for a publishing company and kept his solo gig at the Northwoods Hill Hotel. Then in 1966, he met Long John Baldry, an English blues player who brought Elton and Bluesology on his on as a supporting band. Together, they would play all over England including the infamous Marquee Club, which is especially popular in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, and I and in the um, in the movie, they depict uh, Elton as having an affair with one of the soul players. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I couldn't find anything with that, but that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, obviously. Get it while you can. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because Lance, I don't know much about Major Lance, but... Um, he looked pretty gay. <laughs> that's just my, maybe he was super straight and he was totally a ladies man, but that's the feeling I was getting. And that was, that was the character that they kind of put off was, um, who he might've, uh, mm -hmm. had the affair with. So Long John would become a central figure in Elton's life. In fact, contrary to the movie's suggestion, the movie's suggestion, Elton chose the last name John in reverence to his friend and not in respect to John Lennon. Cause like in the movie they pause and, he in the second we get is to, this he, a spoiler it i guess it's a spoiler so turn it off for, for 30 seconds but he like they they asked him what his name is and that's when he comes up with his name and he has him like looking at a picture of john lennon and he's like helping uh john but it really in real life it's and i don't know why they did that because it's a very like common fact that he mm -hmm. chose his last name john for long john his friend Baldry was also significant in that he was an out gay man and no doubt was an inspiration to the struggling and closeted homosexual. For some reason that we can't find, Baldry isn't mentioned in the Rocketman film, but he would continue to be a heavy influence in Elton's life for many years, which is why when Elton answered a magazine ad in 1967, he gave the producer a stage name, Elton, swiped from one of his bluesology bandmates, and John, from his dear friend and mentor, and at 20 years old, Reggie Dwight introduced the world to Elton John. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, Christians. Today's episode is brought to you by Honey, the incredible browser extension. Honey searches the web for you and automatically applies the best coupons to your order. I have personally saved a ton of money using this extension. When we upgraded our audio equipment, we saved around $20. That was just one purchase. The average Honey user saves $30. How could Honey be any better, you ask? Honey now offers exclusive coupons for the Your Queer Story merch shop. So make sure you check it out while you shop for your new swag. To learn more, visit yourqueerstory.com honey. Again, that's yourqueerstory.com honey. 
So that same year, Elton met his lifelong best friend and business partner, Bernie Taupin. The movie does a fantastic job at showing a beautiful platonic friendship between a gay man and a straight man. Did you know that could happen? Because I sure did. No, absolutely. I had can't no happen. idea. Nope, can't do it. So this is, which is the truth of Elton and Bernie's relationship. For the first few months of their partnership, their correspondence was through the mail. Ray Williams of Liberty Records put the lyricist and composer in touch. And soon, Elton was putting tunes to Bernie's lyrics faster than the writer could mail them out. Eventually, the two met in person and instantly struck up a friendship. In 1968, they would be hired. They were hired by Dick James of DJM Records to create songs he could sell to other entertainers. It really is. Excuse me. It really is a real uh, good uh, message because you just don't see friendships between gay men and straight men and there's still this like myth that you can't be or there's straight men that are afraid to have close gay friends but these two guys were best friends had been best friends for like over 50 years yeah and and it's it's like this it's i feel like it's partially uh um this thing of like oh i'm so masculine i can't be around gay men like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have nothing in common. I'm into sports and beer, right. and and he's into what a fucking getting what a, dick in his ass. I, I don't that's know. All, you that's know, all gay men, that's all gay men think about is just getting dick yeah. in his ass. Yeah, and and I feel like it's been portrayed that gay men can only be friends with women. Like if, yeah. you know, you're watching TV shows, anything, even when they have gay characters at the front of the show, they're always friends with girls. They're really catty. Like they don't show the full spectrum of queer identity that can be. It, you, like you can be whoever you want to be you don't have to be some catty person who's only friends with girls oh, you yeah. can go out to the street bar and have wings and watch football with your buddies like and I, and I feel like the media has portrayed our community in a specific light and people try to match that and you know heterosexual people see that and try to fit that along with that idea yeah well i mean it's it's stereotypes that's what mm-hmm. it is it's like you know, Elton John was a longtime football fan, which in English is soccer. Right. You know, he's a longtime football fan. He actually owned a football club, like, in all kinds of things. Like, and it's just that back thing, like, just like you have varied interests, queer people have varied interests. And like, say you, I mean, like, straight people. Mm-hmm. So this, this, this whole lie that if, you know, and then there's, of course, this big fear, what if he hits on me? Which it actually is beautiful in the story later on. Spoiler alert. But John did hit on Elton. John did hit on Bernie. And Bernie mm-hmm. was just like, no. I mean, I love you, but I'm not interested right. in you like that. And that was it. It was like the small blip and they went on. Right. It didn't hurt their friendship at all. Because, yeah, so what? Like, straight people do that all the time. Like, how all many, the time. How many straight guys have hit on their girlfriend and been like, oh. And then she's like, no, I'm, I'm good. And they're like, okay. Right. <laughs> It happens all the time, it but happens. heaven forbid it happened to you, a man, because exactly. that's the whole thing. Yeah. So while the two artists also worked on some of their own productions, there were some personal struggles. In an attempt to keep up appearances, Elton entered a brief affair with a secretary named Linda Woodrow. In fact, they got engaged. But Long John Bardley wasn't having any of this nonsense. You're more in love with Bernie than you are with this girl, he told Elton one night. And that was probably true. In fact, as depicted in the movie, Elton did make a move on Bernie, but the artist gently let his friend down and the past never hurt their friendship or partnership. But Elton's struggle with his sexuality did wreak havoc on things. During his hetero affair, he and Bernie didn't finish a single song. Feeling broken, Elton did what he called a Woody Allen attempt at suicide. He stuck his head in the oven and turned on the gas. 
but Bernie found him and pulled Elton out. Later, Bernie would write the song, Someone Saved My Life Tonight, in reference to the event. I feel like that was really dramatic. Yeah, exactly. There, that's a, there's a lot. Not to with. make fun of suicide, but there's also those things where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to end it all because you've got <laughs> putting your head in the oven is the worst way. There's a mil like, yeah, no. Suicide's horrible and we would never make fun of it, but that was really dramatic. And there is a like, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like he <laughs> says, he he calls it more of a call of, of attention than it was an actual suicide attempt because mm. he would later on go on to try to attempt suicide. But that moment was just like, he was just, it was just a, a you know, a call for attention because he was, I don't just, I don't know, but you've got to bend down, open the, the oven up. You've got to lay there and I guess fall asleep. Mm. You do fall asleep, but it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so. Finally, Elton cut things off with Linda and refocuses, refocused his attention on music and Dick. It wasn't until 19... <laughs> I ad-libbed a little bit. Oh. It wasn't until 1970 that they got a break, and in April of that year, they released their debut album, Elton John. The song, Your Song, hit number seven on the English charts and number eight on the American Billboard Top 100. Which, your song... Um, there's other stories behind it, but uh, they do think it was kind of like a Bernie's song to Elton to Bernie. Yes. Yeah. You know. And this actually happened to be Elton's first hit single. The album itself did incredibly well, hitting number four and number five on America's and English, England's top 200 chart. That August, Elton would play at the Troubadour, Troubadour. Troubadour in Los Angeles. He was a smash success. He was a smash success. Smashing success. Just a few months later, they dropped another album, Tumbleweed Connection. And a few months after that, at the start of 71, they released Madman Across the Water with the hit single Tiny Dancer. During this time, Elton met John Reed at a 1970 Christmas party. In the film, it appears Reed has discovered Elton at the Troubadour. But in reality, Reed admits he didn't see much star potential in John. Yeah. Damn. Could you imagine being like, you know what? I saw I, I saw Sir Elton John back in the day, but yeah, I didn't think he was very, very starish. Not not star talent in my opinion. He said he was just kind of a frumpy like band member and didn't see much of him. Damn. But he did see boyfriend potential. <laughs> He's like, you know what? You suck at performing. And but maybe you'll but suck real good dick. <laughs> exactly. Since <laughs> you suck so well. So the two quickly struck up a romance and soon moved in together. And according to Reed, Elton John was his first, which is probably true, but also... I don't know what, I don't know. Um, Reed is a very complicated character. Soon Elton persuaded Reed to become his manager, which Reed said he did reluctantly. And the next five years were some of the most successful in Elton and Bernie's career. In 1972, they dropped the album Honky Chateau, Honky Chateau, that's how you say it, Honky yeah. Chateau, which featured one of Elton's most iconic songs, Rocket Man. That's such a good song. Did I do good? Yeah. Well, why don't you do better? Samantha Paul? definitely did better, but. Oh, okay. So you're just going to throw my wife into this? Yep. Fuck <laughs> you. Um, and it also had the rocking single Honky Cat, which I had not heard before this movie, but I definitely enjoyed after listening to mm -hmm. it. The following year, the record Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player hit number one. Sounds like something we would do. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. It hit number one around the, war, around the world and bore songs like Crocodile Rock and Daniel. The singer and songwriter both joined on with MCA Records that same year. 
So in October of 1973, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road would drop and stay at the top of the charts for two months. The critically acclaimed album was filled with the hits like Bernie and the Jets. Bernie which, and the Jets. Oh. Not Bernie. You just, wow. You just lost I half know. of our listenership. Hang on. <laughs> and it was filled with hits like Bernie and the Jets, which is so much fun. Yeah. Candle in the Wind, Saturday Night's All Right for Frightened, and more. The album would launch Elton John into superstardom heights. By 1974, MCS Records had released an Elton John's greatest hits album. I think it's MCA. I think I wrote that wrong because they had MCA Records. Not that anybody's going to come back and get me for it, but just for accuracy. Well, they sold over 16 million copies, and the singer was only starting his career. Yeah, so they re- released the. I'm sorry, I messed up. Do you want to do the whole podcast? Because no. I can sit back if you just <laughs> want to do it all. I was just saying that they released the greatest hits album, and the guy was like 25 or something. Anyways, go right ahead, sir. <laughs> Continue. And the singer is only starting his career. You got anything to say? <laughs> I would just really like to add that when you really. <laughs> <laughs> he did a collaboration with John Lennon and recorded the entire Caribou record, carrying the song The Bitches Back in a two-week stretch <laughs> between touring gigs. All of these titles sound like things Evan and I would write. It is exactly what we write. <laughs> uh, it is exactly. And honestly, I wish that we could afford the rights to have The Bitches Back as our opening thing. Mm-hmm. Elton had also began dabbling in some movie work, adding some work to the film adaptation of the rock opera Tommy. And he also blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. (laughs) We're not petty. We're not. (laughs) Oh, no, that's what I was going to say. I would say we would release a song called The Petty Bitches or something. (laughs) (laughs) That would be. That would be it. The Petty Bitches. And we just keep singing over each other in the song. Louder and louder and louder. Until people are like, Jesus Christ, (laughs) taking their earbuds out. Okay, the 1975 autobiographical album Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. That doesn't sound right. Mm. They're all written to know. You knew what you were getting into. (laughs) It came out and hit number one on the charts. It was the first time a non-musical album had topped the charts. The autobiography followed Elton and Bernie's early music careers, but it didn't follow Elton's personal life. The performer was still in the closet, living with his boyfriend and manager, John Reed, who was becoming physically abusive. Reed was known to have a temper. In fact, in 1974, when the local bar ran out of whiskey, the music manager got into a brawl with the staff. I think that's pretty fair. <laughs> he threw his, his cha- he threw, like, they gave him champagne and he threw it back in their face. I was like, <laughs> oh, I want whiskey. <laughs> okay. But then he was charged with slapping a female reporter who called him a poof which is a British insult for queer. Okay, well, she deserved that, so. Well, yeah, well, it's funny in the movie just because we're not British because they're like, I'm a poof. You're going to call me a poof. But then they, they use, like, when they're talking about cigarettes, they're like, hey, you got a fag? So really upside down. Mm-hmm. The British are crazy. They are. They definitely weren't <laughs> the first ones to, like, we definitely didn't come from them. No, absolutely not. Another time, he spent a month in prison for beating and kicking a journalist. We could not find the reason why. And he was arrested in America when he beat a doorman with his cane. And the list goes on. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. But the best part is read the next thing. Well, Reed says these were all isolated incidents done in the defense of Ellen and Bernie. Uh, That's kind of a narcissist right there. (laughs) That is. This was not my fault. Listen. 
I beat the shit out of that person, and I threw the champagne. Sure, what about the ja- ja- the journalist yeah, that listen, you slapped? I was defending Elton and Bernie. Okay, and you beat a doorman with your cane? Yeah, again, defending Elton and Bernie. You beat the shit out of someone so badly you had to go to prison for a month? Had to defend Elton and Bernie. What okay. do you want me to do? Just, just, let, just let whatever happens happen? No. <laughs> I am a savior sent from God to protect Elton and Bernie. And you're just going to say these are isolated incidents. Yes. Because you have a lot of isolated incidents, sir. If they weren't isolated, they would have all been connected. (laughs) As they took place in different places, they're isolated. My my long rap sheet. That's very good. (laughs) My long ass rap sheet of isolated (laughs) incidents. You see, this one was in America. And this one was in London. Mm. And so so London is isolated from America. Therefore, they are isolated incidents. Very good, very good. I'm gonna use that the next time I get arrested. You the see, next time? officer. Then I the next time. The next time I get pulled over. <laughs> like, see, officer, that last ticket was an isolated incident. I was on Main Street, and now I'm on Pleasant Street. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't you can't say that this is a second time or third time because it's not. Absolutely not. <laughs> so the truth seems more likely that John Reed is an abusive person who believes it's okay to respond to incident with incidents with physical force. Elton has spoken of the physical abuse he endured while he was with Reed. Their relationship was quite torrid with bouts of depression and heated arguments plaguing the two lovers. In addition, Elton had begun to sink deeply into drug abuse and alcoholism. The movie speaks of his desire to be and feel loved, which is understandable considering he grew up his entire life and then now felt, you know, was living with this person who's supposed to love him. And he's feeling the same type of way about this person as he did with his parents, which is why he stood because it's what he knew. He didn't know anything different. Yeah. And that's why these cycles continue. Trauma. Yeah, what a generational pro- trauma. But Elton could not yet love himself. He couldn't admit that he was a g- that he was gay. During Elton Week in 1975, the singer suffered a cocaine overdose. overdose. He also began to battle bulimia. Later that year, he and John Reed officially broke up though John would stay on as Elton John's manager for the next 20 plus years. That's messy. Yeah, that is real messy. And they they like allude to it a little bit um, later on. It's just really good how it's set up, but they, they allude to how, like, how he just like hangs on to this person, still wanting a love and approval from this person that's been so abusive, the same way he hung on to his uh, parents. Right? Mm-hmm. I just eye-rolled so hard. Uh, yes, and it wasn't did. towards Elton because I understand where he's coming from. I was eye-rolling because that's... I mean, I've experienced, Evan's experienced it. I mean, anybody who's come from a past that wasn't picture perfect has experienced this where you hold on to something because you don't know any better and you don't mm-hmm. you don't know that you can get better. Yeah, you don't know that you deserve better. You right. don't believe you deserve better. So you keep trying to get this person to love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it was really, yeah. And again, in the movie, they did so good of conveying that feeling of just like constantly like, love me, please, love mm-hmm. me, you know. In 1976, Elton came out as bisexual in Rolling Stones magazine, and he began to and he began a quite frenzied blur of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Two albums dropped again in '76: Elton, Elton's tenth and eleventh, Here and There, and Blue Moves, which featured another of his most iconic hits, "Don't Go Breaking My Heart." Between the years of 1972 and 1975, Elton John had seven consecutive albums hit number one on the charts. Can you believe that? No, that's a lot. That's incredible. <laughs> In three years. I don't know um, if other and they're consecutive too. Exactly. That's every hit that he, every album that he dropped between 1972 and 1975 became number one. 
I don't know. Uh, I don't think any um, artist has ever done it in that rapid amount of time. Mm-hmm. I do know that like um, Drake has consecutively put out numerous uh, number one hits. And I know, which is weird that I know this, Blake Shelton has consecutively put out number one hits. But I don't know if it was albums or if it was just singles. So top hits for two hundred, please. <laughs> so that's literally like it's a, that's, random. It's packs. a very such a random. It's because I read so many random things and then they just retain in my brain. <laughs> but the meteoric, the meteoric, that's right, right? Meteoric, meteoric, meteoric. I have no me- idea. He's rocketing. Meteoric. He's rocketing to the the tops. The meteoric uh, success was truly taking its toll. In 1977, Elton announced he was retiring for performing, though not music altogether, and for a brief time, he and Bernie split up. Elton did continue to record. A single man and a victim of love dropped in 1978 and 1979, then 21 to 23 in 1980. The next few years were rather dry as Elton was finally trying to go to rehab and address his addictions. Um, and this and this was when, like, he and... Um, Bernie never like had an official falling out, but they did have time where they're like, we need some space. It happens. Can't be. They, it's not like they were just friends. Like they were yeah. friends. They were working together. They were like, they were doing everything together. Yeah. And if you're doing that much, like you need space. You do. Especially after years and years and years and years. Yeah. Yeah. Plus I think Bernie was kind of, um, he was seeing Elton in these abusive relationships. And that's and a lot to watch your friend go through. It is. And then Elton was very heavily abusing drugs and alcohol, which nobody wants to be around someone who's heavily abusing drugs and alcohol. No, not fun. The year 1983 was a bit of a rebirth, and Elton and Bernie teamed up again to produce Too Low for Zero. In the biopic, it seems like this is where everything begins to go right for Elton, but he was still a, way off, he was still a ways off from finding happiness. While the album did well with songs like Guess that's why they call it the blues, and I'm still standing. You sound like you've never heard that. Guess I that's why they call it the blues. Never heard it. And I guess that's why they call it the blues. I could be way off on that, but I think that's right. <laughs> Doesn't sound right to me. And I'm still standing. Elton was struggling with relapse and his family's rejection of his sexuality. His mother, in particular, was cruel in the ways she cut him down. He said of this time, This is how bleak it was. I'd stay up. I'd smoke joints, I'd drink a bottle of Johnny Walker, and then I'd stay up for three days, and then I'd go to sleep for a day and a half, get up, and because I was so hungry, because I hadn't eaten anything, I'd binge and have like three bacon sandwiches, a pot of ice cream, and then I'd throw it up because I became bulimic, and then go and do the whole thing all over again, which that sounds rough. That is rough. Addiction is just a bitch. Mm Mm-hmm. So as he reached for acceptance, Elton proposed to and married sound engineer Renat Bilal. Her name is Renat, but um, but I don't know what I don't know if she sounds like French. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but she uh, they married on Valentine's Day in 1984. In a bizarre move, Elton made John Reed his best man at the wedding. Messy as fuck, no. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because, like, Bernie wasn't available or if maybe they were, like, in the middle of a tense time or Bernie was Even just, like... Even if Bernie's not available, I feel like that why would be the him? last choice. Yeah. Yeah, the last possible fucking choice. And in true Reed fashion, he was arrested later that day for beating up a journalist. It was an isolated incident. <laughs> I was at a wedding. I have never been arrested for beating up someone at a wedding before. This was Sir, a Sir, this is at least I... your sixth journalist you beat up. But this one was at a wedding. 
So it's totally different. Mm. Isolated event. Can you tell us why you beat him up? Uh, no. I was mad. Okay. <laughs> so the wedding day should have been an omen that the marriage was doomed. Of course, Elton knew he wasn't being fair to Renat. Ironically, he released the album Breaking Hearts that same year. But he continued to hide for a while longer, hoping the gay would go away. Charging on as if everything was fine, Elton joined Freddie Mercury and other performers for the 1985 Live Aid performance. You can check out our Freddie Mercury episode if you want. Mm-hmm. Live Aid, that Live Aid performance was the best ever. Yes, it was. He was rated like the best performance of all time. Mm-hmm. Over the next two years, the entertainer would collaborate with several other artists on various projects. And in 1987, Sun Magazine released an article that accused Elton of having sex with Rent Boys. Elton sued the magazine for libel and won the suit. But perhaps there was some truth to the story. Either way, his marriage was in shambles in that same year. Renat left Elton. He re-entered rehab and began to be a little more open to his friends and family about his sexual orientation. He also started helping in the fight against AIDS. His 1988 collaboration, That's What Friends Are For, raised funds for AIDS research. And in 1990, Elton John publicly came out as a gay man and entered rehab for the last time. And all I want to say is honesty is big because he struggles for so long and finally he's just like, fuck it. I'm not hiding anymore. Because you reach that point, right? Mm -hmm. You just like you say and you hide. You just hide and you hide, and finally you're just like, no, fuck it, I can't do it. And that's the thing. I feel like everybody has to reach their own breaking point, but the problem is some people's breaking points are so low, they might die before they actually get to them. Exactly. You don't know where your bottom is going to be. Everybody's Mm -hmm. bottom, so to speak, is different. Absolutely. And that's why we, uh, on this podcast, we try to spread like acceptance and love because we don't want you to have to reach that bottom point. We want you to say, you know what? I'm not going to go through this anymore. I'm not going to put myself through anything. And I'm just going to fucking be myself. Yeah. That's what the whole thing's about, everybody. That's why we're here. So the turning point seemed to be when he launched the Elton John AIDS Foundation. The Fix, which is an online source for those in recovery, and I would highly suggest it, reported this interview. During my addictions in the 1980s, AIDS epidemic surfaced and the government took no notice of it. I lost so many friends to AIDS and I didn't put myself on the line because of the addictions I was going through. The drugs turned me into a monster. The 70-year-old singer said that in meeting Ryan White, who was battling AIDS, helped inspire his sobriety, which is actually a story from Indiana Mm -hmm. about a young man that got AIDS through a blood transfusion and the community turned against him and his family. I had the luck to meet Ryan White and his family. I wanted to help them, but they ended up helping me much more. Ryan was the spark that helped me to recover from my addiction and to start the AIDS Foundation. Within six months, I became sober and clean. The year after getting sober, Elton won the 1991 Brit Award for the Best British Male. He also began to find love when he met Canadian filmmaker David Furnish. Though he continued to produce music, in 1994, Elton branched out and wrote the soundtrack for the Disney classic, The Lion King. Do you know that one? Yes, I know. It was the first movie I saw in theaters. I was two years old. Um, He would win an Academy Award and a Grammy for the song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Which is a really... Beautiful song. Can you feel the love tonight? Dramatic. <laughs> that same year, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. By 1997, Elson had transformed The Lion King into one of the highest grossing musicals of all time. 
He can amazing. T- can I interject? Can I interject? Yes, to you say do it the was, rest of the podcast anyways. Why <laughs> I not see, now? I just wanted to say it was astounding. I saw the Lion King musical for the first time last year and it blew my mind. Yeah, so. they have really talented singers. They um, released videos of them like singing it live on buses and stuff. And yeah. it's incredible. It's um, he continued to explore his knack for Broadway and and would earn a Tony Award for the 1999 production of Ada. And in 2005, he scored Billy Elliot the musical, which has grossed over $800 million and has won over 80 international awards. In his entertainment career, Elton John has, had released over 30 studio albums, scored nine movie and musical soundtracks, and grossed over $200 million in record sales. That's more than I probably will ever do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... Just, that's just his career, like mm-hmm. his singing and music career. And like we couldn't even begin to touch on the like countless um, like tours and fundraisers and Life collaborations. Yeah. yeah. Just like, like these are any, like all the uh, collaborations that he did with other individuals, all the singles. Like it was like astounding for all of this, for all of his legacy in entertainment. Elton has also made strong charitable contributions The Elton John AIDS Foundation has raised over $300 million through galas, parties, and auctions. He has his famous uh, Elton John Academy Awards party that he does every year and several other. Mm -hmm. In addition, Elton and Bernie's song, Candle in the Wind, was revised in 1997 when Elton's good friend, Princess Diana, was killed in a car crash or murdered, if you believe conspiracy theories. I don't know how all of those cameras in the tunnel just happened to be off the one day. Just saying, like the most powerful person in the world wants someone gone and they're gone. I don't know. Um, Elton performed the new revision at her funeral as and it became a worldwide hit overnight. All proceeds were donated to her charity and have raised over $70 million. The single set the Guinness Book of World Records for the best-selling single ever. Good luck breaking that. Yeah. And as for his personal life, Elton has found happiness. In 1998, he, he fired John Reed as his manager. When he found out the crook had embezzled over $20 million from Elton, I, it was an isolated incident. <laughs> so I've never honor. I've never stolen money from anyone else. It was a one-time <laughs> thing. It was an isolated incident. This, uh, No doubt ending this toxic toxic relationship was good for Elton, as he has been able to talk about his the relationship much more. More. Oh, really? Wow. Based on the end here. So. What are you doing? I see the little thing moving around. <laughs> I just want to fix this, because otherwise I'll fix. Like, look at all the the issues in the sentence. <laughs> you see, we're talking about yeah. much more recently. Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> the thing's moving around much more recently in recent years. In two thousand eight, he and David entered a civil union, as that is all that was allowed at the time. They had their first child, Jackery, Zachary Jackson Levon, who also had to have the last name Furnish John. So Zachary. Jackson, Levon, Furnish, John. Okay. Through surrogate. <laughs> On Christmas Day in 2010. In 2013, their second son, Elijah Joseph Daniel, was born. In the following year, in 2014, after 21 years together, David and Elton were officially married. They married just a few months after same-sex marriage became legal in the United Kingdom. We don't know who the best man was this time, but we're certain it wasn't John Reed. Imagine if it was. That would have been great. <laughs> Maybe it was Bernie. 50 years later, the friendship is still going strong. And as far as sobriety, Elton has been sober for over 28 years. It does work one day at a time. 
In sobriety, there is a phrase on every chip that is passed out. These chips are a visual reminder of a person's time sober, and around the edge are the words, To thine own self be true. In order for a person to find real happiness, they must first be true to themselves. All the money, all the fame, all the glamour couldn't save Elton John from himself. And if you're thinking you can't be an artist and be sober, remember half of his success came after he got clean. Honestly, the best gift we can give ourselves. Honesty is the best gift we can give ourselves. We'll close the story with the words from the icon. I am a survivor. I survived a lot of things. Life is full of pitfalls, even when you're sober. I can deal with them now because I don't have to run away and hide. And uh, your recommended resources are Rocket Man, the biopic in theaters, and Love is the Cure, which is a memoir that Elton released a few years ago. And if you're struggling with addiction, please reach out, get help, ask for help. Don't try to do this alone. Exactly. Yes, there is help for you. And um, also, just uh, to go back to some stuff about us, you guys should check out our Patreon and our YouTube because we have a lot of videos that have uploaded over yeah, the past been good. Days. He's been recording. He's been, he's really been on top good. of it. Yeah. So there's a there's a random video that's public to everyone. I did have it on Facebook, but it wasn't on a lot of our social media. Um, there is a tour of our facilities. So patrons, it's only for patrons. You have to be a patron to check it out, but you can join for as low as a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. So there's a tour. So if you want to see what your money funded, you can see it's, um, it's short, but it's out there. Yep. And then we recorded our Bean Boozled video, which you can find on YouTube. It was um, a tie, a three way tie um, on what YouTube challenge we're going to do based on our patrons votes. So I picked the Bean Boozled challenge. Mm and yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was horrendous. I threw up only one time. It because was, he only ate like one thing. Yeah, so somehow, luckily, I just managed to get all the good ones except for the last two that I got. But it was an experience. I'll never do it again. Glad we did it. It was great for the camera. Um, not, I, not great for my physical health or no, well-being. I don't know how they made it so disgusting. I Honestly, I went into it and I was like, this isn't going to be that bad. I'm going to be fine. This is kind of ridiculous. Um, but those jelly beans are awful. They are Absolutely the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted yeah, in my life. I don't was, think it's safe to eat. No, it's probably not. Because how do you reproduce that that taste? I don't know. The Which one did I throw up on? The rotten eggs. The rotten eggs. So I had mm. the spoiled milk. That one was nasty. It tasted like when you leave a glass of milk out for like a week and you smell it like that smell that comes up when you, dunk, yeah. when you dump out like the mm-hmm. thick solid milk and there's that liquid underneath. That smell, that's what it tasted like. But the yeah. rotten egg, I literally like... That was awful. It was traumatic. I almost died. <laughs> it's the one we ended on too, right? We were doing it was, like, the, it it was, was a good finale. We were making it through, and then we hit the rotten egg, which mm-hmm. we didn't do that on purpose. Um, the canned dog food was very. Was, I'm glad I didn't have to try that. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be, um, but I underestimated my ability to handle it. That was the problem. So um, yeah, so it was a good challenge. So that was for hitting a hundred dollars yep. in monthly support from patrons. Our, we're really close to our next. Yeah, goal too. exactly. We're already so close to our next goal. And with that, we are going to be doing a one-hour live question and answer. Mm-hmm. Um, if nobody comes, it won't be an hour long. But if people are there and want to oh, talk to us. Be. I will ask Paul questions, intimate details about oh, his yeah, life. Well, you know what? If we don't have anybody, at yeah. least it'll be online. Yeah. And if he doesn't answer the questions, I will make up the answers or I will give you the answers that I know. So I'm going to put them on blast. <laughs> um. So yeah, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our allied hookers. A little succulent saphis. And our proud homocrats. You sodomites, a sodomy circus. Goodbye. Bye.
Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.